Good morning. Uh, Janelle is going to pull up Minty here, and if you have a device, go ahead and log in. I have a pop quiz question. Hope you did your homework. Just to see if the service is working, give us your best guess as to when was the Apostle Paul born? 4 BC, 50 AD, or 125 AD? I'm uh, preaching today out of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter from Paul, so we're going to check and see if you guys know a little bit about Paul. Any guesses? So far, we're sounding pretty right. And it's all right if we don't have a lot of interaction today. I see we have a thin crowd. But if you have a device and you're able, get logged in and, oh, hey, we got one. There will be more questions as, as time goes on. So our reading today uh, that I'm preaching out of is from the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He was their pastor. So uh, before I read the message... Before I read the scripture passage for today, I want to share with you a little bit about Paul. So Paul is a follower of Christ, not during Christ's life, but after Christ's death. He was born at 4 BC in Tarsus, which is Turkey now. Um, And between 7 and 13 letters in the New Testament are attributed to Paul. We won't get into that argument as to how many, but between 7 and 13, depending on who you ask, were written by Paul. The book of Acts... Uh, which is not written by Paul and is attributed to Luke, the gospel writer. It chronicles a lot of Paul's ministry. Um, So Paul was a Pharisee, and he spent half of his life persecuting Christians in the early church. And the book of Acts depicts the stoning of Stephen, one of Christ's disciples, and a little bit of foreshadowing at the very end of that. In Acts 7, it says, and Paul was there, and he approved of this. So Paul, bent on executing Christians... He has a change of heart when he's traveling to Damascus. He's struck blind and has an encounter with Jesus. After this, that's all depicted in Acts 9, by the way. After this, Paul travels around preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you've heard this story before, if you've heard about Paul before, this is, this is something you know. It seems like common knowledge uh, that's familiar. But I can't stress enough how radical this change is. To put it in terms that would be more familiar to us, think of a religious group that's been persecuted. Think of those doing the persecuting in the form of execution. I think like the best example that we know of of this is, uh, is the extermination of the Jews by Nazi Germany. Imagine a Nazi known for executing Jews, having an encounter with God, and having a change of heart, and then preaching about God. It says in Acts 9 that Jesus' disciples were actually really skeptical of Paul when he first tried to join them. They were afraid of him. I don't blame them. I would be too. But Paul then spends the next 20 years preaching around southern Europe and Asia Minor, uh, and he plants a bunch of churches, including the church of Corinth. Here's the map of... So you see Corinth there in the center. Paul is from Tarsus, which is on the far right. And then at the bottom there, you see where Nazareth is. So this chronicles a little bit of Paul's travels as he preaches around uh, to Thessalonica, to Philippi, Ephesus, Colossae, and Corinth. So the church that that received this letter that I'm going to read to you today is Corinth. Um, 
So Paul goes there to plant a church knowing that this city was notorious for its immorality. It was the most wealthy city in Greece at the time, and the people that lived there valued social status and wealth, and the city was teeming with prostitutes. This is the Las Vegas of the first century, and Paul goes there to plant a church. And Paul's ministry with the Corinthians deals with these issues of sexual immorality and dignity of the body and wealth. Paul stays with them for a year and a half, and then he departs. After he departs, they write him a letter going, hey, we still have questions. We're not ready for you to be gone yet. Paul responds by writing them a letter. And this is the beginning of Paul's letter to them. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is just the introduction of Paul's letter. It seems like it's not significant and that we haven't gotten into the meat and potatoes yet, but there's actually a lot to unpack here. At the very beginning of the letter, Paul states who he is, who's writing the letter, and and then how he writes with authority, because he was called to be an apostle by the will of God. He's showing them his credentials here by stating this authority. Also of note, we don't know who Sosthenes is. Um, There's several theories He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but uh, Paul calls him a brother, so it's assumed that the church in Corinth knows who Sosthenes is. Also of note, writing a letter in the first century was very different from how it is for us today. If I'm writing an email to you, I can backspace or reword a paragraph. I can edit it as needed so that uh, so that I don't a jerk or so that I don't end every sentence with an exclamation point. But Paul doesn't really have a chance to do that. All of this is handwritten. He can't erase. Actually, someone's writing it down for him as he dictates to them. So everything written is painstakingly done and takes a significant amount of time to arrive at its destination. And you can see this even later on in chapter one. Paul has to correct himself when he says, good thing I only baptized this guy and this guy. And then later on he goes, oh wait, I baptized this other guy's family too, but I'm pretty sure that's it. He couldn't go back and edit it. He just has to kind of edit as he goes. So uh, the letters are a little bit messy because of that. And also, if you notice, there's like four verses here, and he says Jesus Christ in every single sentence. (laughs) He couldn't go back and edit it. So let's get into what he's actually saying here. He starts with his introduction, he explains who he is, why he has the authority to be instructing them, and then he states who he's writing to, to the church of God that is in Corinth. This is the group of people that decided to follow Jesus Christ in the sin city of the first century. Paul builds them up further by saying that they're called to be saints, 
and that they're part of a greater community of followers in these churches that have been planted all across Europe and Asia Minor. And then Paul greets them. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul moves into his compliment sandwich. Have you heard of these? Let's say I need to say something critical, and I've had to do this as a boss and as a parent and as a friend. I'll say something nice, and then I'll tell you what you need to work on, and then I'll end it with something positive. So, for example, my son Noah's not here, so I'm going to pick on him. Sorry, not sorry. Um, If I'm telling Noah, who plays the drums here a lot, that he's playing the drums too loud, I might say it like this. Noah, you're so good at the drums. You're getting better and better every week. But right now, they're just a little bit too loud. Maybe we can jam together later. How does that sound? So I start with a compliment. I tell him he's great at it. Then I ask him to quiet down. And then I offer to jam with him later and end with something positive. Paul does this same thing in all of his letters. So the, the rest of today's passage, verses 1 through 9, this is the first layer of Paul's compliment sandwich. He gives them nine verses of wonderful things and then follows with 15 chapters of what they need to work on. And then he ends with more positive things for them. He's being a good pastor by doing this. He's not just starting with fire and brimstone or, come on, guys, you know this. He starts with a pastoral letter. Paul also has a thing for run-on sentences, although it may be our Bible translators that have a thing for run-on sentences. Verses 4 through 7 are one sentence, and it says Jesus Christ many times. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus, for in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's lavishing them with compliments here. He's saying that he's seen their growth in speech and knowledge. He's saying that the testimony of Christ has been strengthened because of this community of believers, this transformation that they've undergone. And then he says, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You are not lacking. You're enough. We are enough. We here at Homestead Church are enough and have enough. We have everything that we, ha- that we need right here in our community of believers. Uh, just like here at Homestead, we have every spiritual gift we could possibly have. We are also not lacking. And as much as we say, if only we had more money or more staff or building, we, don't need to, we do need to recognize that right now, as a community of believers, we are not lacking. We have everything that we need right here. Because if we can't worship God and love like God and serve like Jesus in a warehouse, having a building won't make that happen. If we can't reach the people of Rochester and share the good news right now, no amount of money can make it happen. So take a minute and think about what God has gifted you with. Are you good with kids? Sorry. Are you good with numbers? Are you good with planning? Hospitality? If you want to participate, type an answer, or you can shout it out, because you guys were formed by God and gifted by God to do good work in the name of Jesus Christ. So all of you should know at least one thing that you're gifted with, that you're good at, and you've probably been taught not to brag, but please brag. Patience. Ooh, I'm so glad someone got that. I did not. Yeah, hospitality. 
Yeah. That, 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 there's a lot of patience with that, too. God bless you. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Janelle was given the gift of music. I think Al was given the gift of service. Cause, and there's so many people that do so much work here in the background that you don't see it or recognize it every week, but if they weren't here, you'd feel it, right? I think of people like Hargo or like AJ or like Al, that if they weren't here for a week, we'd feel it. Musical gifts, art, virtue, communication, tolerance. We have so many gifts that have been bestowed on us here at Homestead Church. What would, what would our letter to Homestead Church say if we got a letter from our founding pastor? Organization, can you come and help me? <laughs> God bless you. What would Homestead Church's letter say if our first pastor, Reverend E.C. Avis, wrote us a letter? What would the beginning of his compliment sandwich say? Look at how far you've come. Look at how faithful you've been. Look at how fast you grew out of that building. Yeah, praise God. Look at how far you've come. Look at how fast you grew out of this building, how fast you grew out of the building on Center Street. Look at all the families that you helped. With your food drive, with your donations to Emma Norton, with your blessing tree, ringing bells for the Salvation Army, trips to feed my starving children, raising enough money to pie our youth leaders and pastor in the face. That's my favorite picture. <laughs> Serving meals at the Dorothy Day House. Funds sent to St. Louis Ministries in Guatemala. Churches are forced to measure their successes by annual income or average attendance, but one thing we can't overlook is the direct impact we've had in our community and our world by our good work done here. You did this. You do good work with your hands and feet, your prayers, and the gifts that God has given you. Spiritual gifts, financial gifts, patience, organization. Please help me. Um, Paul finishes the introduction of his letter with this statement. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is where our passage ends today, but if you continue reading in 1 Corinthians, you'll see that the next four verses are so applicable to us right now, to the greater United Methodist Church right now. Every time we read scripture, we need to take time to read it and digest it and then see where we fit into it. What part of the story do we play? And it's easy to read Paul's letter and go, oh, we're, we're the church that's the recipient of, of this pastoral letter. And so that's why this next four verses is so fitting. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same purpose for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. 
What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Let there be no divisions among you. And that's not us right now. We're a church divided, just like the church of Corinth. In the church of Corinth, in the letter that they wrote to Paul, they were arguing about the spiritual gifts that were given to them. They tried to apply status to those spiritual gifts, and those that had gifts of prophecy or speaking in tongues used that as like a, a status symbol. They felt more important than the people that were given the gift of, uh, of like intercessory prayer or a gift that didn't seem as flashy and showy. So later on in 1 Corinthians, Paul spends all of chapter 12 telling them how all of their gifts are so needed and that together you fit into the body of Christ. And then chapter 13 is the love chapter that you hear spoken at weddings, but really it was written to this church in Corinth that was just warring with one another about who is better than who. And Paul then tells them about love, about how love is patient and kind and, and isn't about bragging which spiritual gift is better than the other. That's not what the Methodist Church is divided about right now, though. We're on the brink of an all-out divorce. We have a plan that's been brought forth that is proposing a full-on split in the United Methodist Churches between the churches that want to fully affirm LGBT persons and the churches that want to uphold the traditional plan that was voted in at the special session of the General Conference back in February of 2019. We've tried for decades to remain unified and come up with a plan to stay together for the kids, but we have irreconcilable differences. This formal division, though, was only making official the division that's been present in the United Methodist Church about this since the 70s. So there was a clause added in the 1970s, I think it was 1976, into the Book of Discipline that says that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into that today. Good God, that would be a mess. You'd tell on me so bad when Aaron comes back, you would not believe what Amanda preached about Aaron. Don't let her do this again. What I do want to talk about, though, is Paul's instruction in the verses that he gives in the middle of his compliment sandwich where he's admonishing and instructing the people of the church in Corinth because this is where our church is at right now. And don't, don't be mistaken, though, by thinking that this vote in May in Minneapolis at the next general conference, that's not the division. This division has been present for decades. It's been swirling amongst us. It's been creating resentment and hurt and injury. So I want to take a second and acknowledge this in a, in a pastoral way. How does this make you feel? I want to share a word about how this impending split is impacting you. What's the first word that pops in your head when you hear about this split or when you read about it in the paper, when you see it on social media? Anger. Anger. Yeah. Confusion. Hurt. Hurt. There's some hope in there too, though, right? I think the word that sits on my heart is lament. So, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, gave us three instructions. Mad, sad, hurt. I'm going to let this sit for another minute. (sighs) 
So John Wesley gives us these three simple rules. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. In the current state of the United Methodist Church, we've been at war with each other since the 1970s. The General Conference in February was just a really embarrassing display of unchristlike behavior. Harm was done. Harm has been done for quite some time. So what do we do? Do we follow Paul's instruction? He says to, he says to get along and to stay together. Do we follow Wesleyan instruction to do no harm? As the body of Christ, we've been splintered and cracked into a million different pieces in the last 2,000 years, right? With Martin Luther and the Reformation, then we shattered further into Wesleyan, Calvinist, Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, Evangelical, Seventh-day Adventist, Baptist, Mennonite. There's like hundreds, maybe even thousands of denominations of Christianity. So we're already so divided. Wesley also has this thing called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. Can you tell I'm a seminary student? My instructors would be so proud. I could preach a whole sermon on this thing, but I won't. Um, I'm going to give you like the Cliff's Notes version of how this relates to the passage and to what's going on in the UMC today. So we have scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. These are the four things, the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. So scripture tells us Paul's letter says not to divide. He says, you all need to get along. Tradition tells us that our Wesleyan instruction says to do no harm. Our experience shows us that we're already divided and harm is being done. So reason tells us that we can't continue as we have been. We're at an impasse. Something has to change. I don't have a quick fix or a quick answer, but I want, this, I want this to be on our hearts. I want to be actively praying for this as we are moving towards the general conference in May. That's in uh, this May, it's just a couple months away, in Minneapolis. There's some big decisions that are going to be made, and hearts are going to be broken either way. And this, this proposed plan, by the way, is one of dozens. So there's going to be a lot of debate and arguing and hurt and harm that is going to be done at this at this meeting and I I dread it but at the same time we have to trudge forward this is what I want to stick with you when we're focusing all of this energy back into ourselves about how our church is going to move forward and function trying to be right and trying to tell other people that they're wrong we're not doing the work that God has called us to do We're not going to the ends of the earth. We're not making disciples of all nations. We're not sharing the good news when we're focused on winning an argument. Our first scripture passage today was from Isaiah 49. And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah has several passages about the servant or the suffering servant. And as followers of Christ, we can look at those passages and see that Isaiah was talking about the Savior, the Messiah who was to come. And he says, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. I believe that God did not send Jesus Christ to us so that we could spend our time arguing about how we should be a church. I don't think Jesus Christ peacefully received one of the most painful, atrocious forms of execution so we could sit here and prove that we're right. 
Jesus came to save and to heal and to love and to forgive and to give abundant life. So how can we as a church live into this call? How can we, as a body of Christ, love like Christ and then turn on our brothers and sisters and then argue and fight? This is kind of what Paul is telling his congregation in Corinth. Our mission needs to be bigger than our need to be right. Our commission to spread the good news, make disciples, baptizing in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that needs to take precedent over everything else. Paul says, word for word, you all need to be in agreement. Paul knows this isn't going to magically solve every argument. What Paul is telling them is how they should prioritize it. You need to agree to disagree. You need to still get along, even though you might believe two different things. You need to still figure out how to work together, even if you have differing viewpoints. Paul's reminding them of how to prioritize this, because when the conflict gets the priority, then our vision and our mission and our good work isn't getting the priority. So, currently in the United Methodist Church, we're hurtling towards this monumental vote that's happening in May uh, to see if we're going to divorce or stay together, and this is an important decision. These are important conversations, and this vote has the opportunity to put to rest decades of quarrels so that we can get back to what Christ has called us to do. We have so much good work to do. Let us go forth and do that good work in the name of Jesus Christ, who came to give all of us abundant life.